This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back. Welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Friday, October 27th edition, 2023. I am Justin Klein, and of course, I am here for you to answer your questions, to bring topics that I feel are important to your education, our education. You know, a lot of these are a lot of these topics that I I bring are things that I come across as I bring in information and data. And this is a world where you have to take that all into account, a lot of data into account, bring them together into a thesis of how the market ahead is going to perform. They're indicators using past data and current data. And combining that with a perspective that combines a lot of qualitative aspects as well, right? Behavioral finance is one. Another is just human nature, how politicians are going to react, for example. And you bring this all together to what makes sense, not what you hope the world to be. I say this all the time. It's very important. Block out all the political mumbo jumbo, etc. And only focus on how it impacts the overall economy and markets. It's irrelevant what you think or what you hope. We all have our political biases one way or the other. But that doesn't matter. What matters are what it matters what is happening and what will happen. And a lot of that is understanding how humans are emotional. They have a certain amount of memory. And they're shaped by that memory. We're all shaped by that memory. There's a reason why boomers, for example, babe boomers, they love equities because they came of age working and growing their wealth in the 90s when equities did very, very well. Gen X, a lot of them are less excited about investing in equities. Why? Because they came of age in their major working years after the first dot-com bubble. And then they felt the effects of the financial crisis. So they've been in a period where stocks didn't really go anywhere. So these are aspects of your thought process that you have to decipher and you have to incorporate in your thinking. And then you have to recognize for yourself, what are your biases and how can you avoid making mistakes with those biases? Okay. All right. Now we have a lot to talk about on today's show. 
We're going to talk about market performance. We're going to do some. Uh, we're going to run down some show topics. But right after, we get to our first caller question now. Hello, Invest Talk. Mike from Texas. I'm calling on Vishay Intertechnology ticker VSH. I had a full position, but trimmed it as it went up on the coattails of the Nvidia craze. It's come down since its recent highs, and I'm curious on your thoughts on a place to pick it back up to get back to a full position. I appreciate everything that you guys do, and I'll listen on the podcast. Thank you. All right. This is an interesting one. About a $3 billion market cap, so small cap. And they make discrete semiconductors and passive electronic components to OEMs and distributors. So their products are found in industrial, computing, automotive, consumer, telecommunication, power supplies, military, aerospace, and medical markets. And they're worldwide. So I like the diversity. They're not reliant on one particular sector of the market. They have a lot of actually net cash on their balance sheet. That looks good. Their return equity is around 20%. Now that is near historic highs. It is coming back down. And so is the stock. Right? It peaked out kind of when NVIDIA did in mid-July, kind of when the whole market did. Right around $30 per share. Now it's down to 22 below all the major moving averages and is clearly in a near-term downtrend. Now, I will say you're getting new support. Where this broke out back around 21 and change, you're getting there. You're close. Now, the question is, do you want to buy it in this market? Now, the issue I have with buying it at that near-term support, remember, when you're looking at charts, Support is just typically a short to medium term thing. If you had support and you stay around those levels for long enough, you can easily break, break through, especially if the backdrop of the business continues to weaken. And that's what's happening here. Earnings last year were $3.16. So let's make only two fifty eight this year, down 18%. $2.44 next year, down another 5%. And those estimates continue to come down. Now, revenue growth last quarter, only 3%. So you, you clearly have had that, that return to earth in growth and profitability last quarter down 17% year over year. So that's where you're getting that, that decline in earnings. So I want to see analysts start to revise estimates up, and that's when I would get interested in it. Now, technically, once again, it's near that level, but the Trends within the particular business are not good. So I would not be adding to it, at least aggressively here, uh, until I see some shift in the underlying business earnings estimates going forward. All right, now we have a lot of ground to cover over the next 45 minutes and time permitting. We're going to hit on our focus point. Set up by this question. What factors are leading to tightening financial conditions? Even if the Federal Reserve is done raising interest rates, other indicators point to increasing economic pressure. So I'll be talking about the tightening financial conditions, asset prices, and interest rates, and the financial conditions index, which you may not even know about. So we're going to look at that also. Inflation, we had some inflation data today. I know it wasn't the CPI or the PPI, which a lot of people pay attention to. 
it was actually the PCE price index, personal consumption expenditures. And in fact, this is the inflation gauge that the Fed looks at most of all. So we're going to unpack that data. Also, we're in the midst of earnings season. And companies missing profit targets are getting hit harder than most. Or most times, most earnings seasons, say that. So we're going to look at what that might be telling us. And then lastly, the GDP report came out for the third quarter. 4.9% growth. Now, the one thing I always say about GDP reports is they almost never really matter much. Why? Because they're very backwards looking. We're a month in to this quarter. The market cares most about this quarter. Meta is a good example. Meta had earnings last quarter. It was good earnings. But on the conference call, they said they saw a slowdown in ad spending in the fourth quarter, early in the fourth quarter. And the stock got hit on that news because that's all the market really cared about. Same thing with GDP. But what it can tell you is what drove that GDP and whether or not that is sustainable. So we're going to look at that. So we also have some voice bank calls. One is on, is the stock market manipulated? And MT, Arcelor Mittal. And I'll try to fit in an iTunes review question as usual as well. And it's Friday, so we'll share some excerpts from the newest KPP premium newsletter that's coming up about the halfway point of the podcast. Now let's talk about the market performance today. It was decidedly red. Decidedly red, despite the fact that we had a nice boost from a couple of large tech names, Amazon up nearly 7%, Intel, one that's been struggling for a number of years, starting to gather some up, gather some steam to the upside. That was up 9% today. Now, you did have some other parts of the market weighing on it. Ford down 12%. They came to an agreement with the UAW on big, big wage increases that obviously weighed on the stock. Bank of America down 3.6%. AMD up 3%. Let's see, I'm just, I'm just looking at some of the big gainers, big losers, just to kind of give you a sense of kind of what the where the fireworks were in the market, both up and down. Boston Beer Company down 12%. Remember, that's been uh, was one of those names of microbreweries were the hot thing. Now it's seltzers, and it just shows you in the consumer space, there's a lot of fads. You know, there's a lot of fads. And Sam Boston Beer Company, that peaked out at $1,300 per share. Now it's at $300 per share. So really interesting to see see that. And that's a good lesson there. Don't fall for the fads within the, re, the consumer space. All right. Now as you head into a break, let me tell you about the Invest Talk Sector Spotlight Series. It is free and it's available now over on our YouTube channel. The newest episode is focused on real estate in the sector today is very different than the financial crisis when homeowners were turning over their keys and there was a lot of forced selling. Today, supply of homes is a lot tighter. So we'll talk about those dynamics on the current latest Invest Talk Sector Spotlight series. Now the phone lines are open, waiting for your questions at 888 chart Get ready for the next Invest Talk Wealth Webinar. Profit amidst chaos. Strategic investing in a recession. 
The Wealth Webinar will be presented online and free of charge, but you have to register in advance to reserve your spot. Which sectors tend to soar and which plummet during economic downturns? With the right strategies, you can safeguard your investments and also seize unique opportunities. So join Invest Talk hosts Justin Klein and Luke Guerrero of KPP Financial as they take you through the maze of mysteries involved with investing in times of recession. Tell your friends about the next Invest Talk Wealth Webinar. It's happening live, online, and free Thursday, November 9th from 1 to 2 p.m. Pacific Time. Go to investtalk.com and register now. This is InvestTalk. For serious investors, it's all about achieving financial freedom. That's why the unbiased guidance offered by Steve and Justin is so valuable. The InvestTalk Anytime listener lines are open now, and Steve and Justin welcome your questions. Call 888-99-CHART. Hello, it's Andrew from Atlanta. I was uh, trying to reach Justin, Steve, or Luke. I have a question. LG Energy Solution, I do not have the ticker symbol. It's called LG Energy Solution, and Toyota signed long-term battery supply agreement to power electric vehicles in the U.S. Can you tell me if you know anything about LG Energy Solution? I appreciate the show. I look forward to hearing your analysis, and I hope you guys have a great weekend. Thank you. Well, LG Energy Solutions is a subsidiary of LG Electronics, a South Korean company. Now, they do have they they are listed overseas, so not a company that you can invest in directly here on our exchanges. Uh, but you know, you're not getting a pure play here. LG is a, a, a as you know probably they make consumer products in many areas. Obviously, televisions is, is one. Uh, they make mobile communication equipment. They make home appliances. They sell washing machines, refrigerators, etc. So it's a very well-diversified business. If you want to go invest in LG, that's what you're going to get as well as exposure to that, that deal. Uh, I wouldn't be buying LG Electronics just simply because they made some deal with Toyota. The the deal is more about, I think, joint investment. And that's what's happening. They're investing approximately $3 billion into its Michigan battery facility. And I think this is very similar to what Tesla did with, I think I believe it was Samsung, remembering correctly. And they did a joint venture. Uh, in fact, Samsung owns the vast majority of that and kind of controlled it. I'm not sure about this particular deal. But once again, it's not a reason for me to go out there and buy LG just for that. Okay. All right. We're going to a quick break. Please remember that you can call anytime and leave your question on the Invest Talk Voice Bank. If you're listening via our live stream or on AM 1220 radio in the Silicon Valley area, you can call now at 888-99-CHART.
of the important things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99Chart. Let's go to Dr. Noel in Napa looking at Buckle, B-K-E. Do you own it or looking to buy it? Oh, I own it. I've had it for a while. I was just wondering if I should – I know it's a great company, and, uh, but mm-hmm. I was just wondering, should I – is it one to hold in this uh, current new environment that we're in now? Yeah, I still think it is. It's, a, like you said, a very well-run company, company with a strong balance sheet and a history of paying solid dividends. And a lot of times they'll pay the dividends uh, one time, special dividends. Um, so uh, I don't think that's going to happen uh, anytime soon with the kind of the slowing economy. Uh, and their their free cash flow and, and profitability has uh, retrenched a bit from their pandemic highs, but it's still well above pre-pandemic levels. Their free cash flow trailing 12 months uh, going into the pandemic was about $123 million. Trailing 12 months now, you're at $221 million. Okay, and so you're starting to see a leveling out of that that business and a new kind of steady state uh, higher. So it's very profitable. Return equity fifty eight percent. Now that's above the long term average of about forty one percent. But forty one percent of return equity is extremely high, especially when you are not you're not you don't have a lot of leverage on their balance sheet. So I think this is a solid name. This is, like I said, zero long-term debt. Love that. Love that. Um, so uh, I think it's just being weighed down by, you know, it's a small cap name. It's about $1.5 billion market cap. So the broader small cap sector is being weighed down. And this is obviously in a lot of those indices. And I think it's being weighed down because of that. So uh, I still think Buckle is a Good small cap name with a good balance sheet and a great business. Thanks for the call. Thank you, Jeff. Yeah. <clears throat> no problem. Now, our focus point today looks in the story set up by this question. What factors are tightening or what factors are leading to tightening financial conditions? And we know the Fed has raised rates. They're probably done with raising rates. But let's talk a little bit about what else creates tightening financial conditions. The impact on asset prices and interest rates. And did you know that there's a financial conditions index? Financial conditions index. Now let's start with a quote from Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell. And he said this last Thursday at the Economic Club of New York. He said, he said financial conditions have tightened significantly in recent months. And he's mainly pointing to long-term yields have been an important factor in this tightening. Now, when he refers to financial conditions, a lot of people think of interest rates, but it's not just interest rates. There's actually one from Goldman Sachs, and it uses five different variables. It's the nominal Fed funds rate, so short-term rates. The 10-year yield, obviously that's gone up lately. Credit spreads, which is the difference between the yields on bonds of the same maturity, but with different qualities. So you're talking about treasuries versus junk bonds, for example. Then the equity risk premium. Now, what that is, is 
what is the earnings yield on stocks versus treasuries, for example. And then lastly, I talk about this all the time, the value of the dollar against a basket of currencies weighted by the amount of trade the U.S. does with those countries. So trade-weighted value of the U.S. dollar index. Now, the Federal Reserve of Chicago has its own index, as does Bloomberg. And the Federal Reserve Board of Governors actually just introduced their own recently. I think it was in June. Now, the current financial conditions index, the Goldman Sachs one, is right around 100. And that is close to its long-term historical average. So right now, despite kind of the volatility you've seen, we're about average. Now, a lot of people say, well, when that, that, that is tight, you sell stocks, right? But unfortunately, it's actually the opposite. Equities typically do very well when this index is high because high is actually higher or tighter financial conditions when it's super low. And this was super low. Well, about 97 in 2021 at the peak. Or you see the bottom, but the peak in equities. And you can see how they are pretty correlated. It's you want to see loosening financial conditions from a tight place. And then that brings room for asset prices to go up, for lending in the economy to, to flow freely. So it's not just about what the Fed is doing. It's also forward policy, right? It's becoming even more important. The financial conditions index becomes more important when there's forward guidance, Right? It's about, hey, we're going to do this on the line. That's going to move policy. That's going to move interest rates today. When you go see the announcement, what the Fed is going to raise or lower interest rates, that's already built into the market. It's front run that. And a lot of that's because of that forward guidance. Very different than where we were in the 80s and 90s. And so I follow the dollar, I follow the 10 year, and I follow credit spreads. Those are most important and most impactful to those financial conditions indices. All right, it's Friday. Weekend is almost here. Coming up, I'll share excerpts from the newest KPP premium newsletter. But for now, my phone lines are open and I'll welcome your questions on 888-99-CHART. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools, 
to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's attack resistance platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. Get ready for the next Invest Talk Wealth Webinar Profit Amidst Chaos Strategic Investing in a Recession. Set for November 9th, the Wealth Webinar will be presented online and free of charge. Thursday, November 9th, from 1 to 2 p.m. Pacific Time. Go to investtalk.com and register now. How's it going, Stephen? Justin, this is Aaron from Virginia. I'm a longtime listener and also fortunate to have you guys managing my portfolio, and I appreciate everything you guys do. So my question is in regards to the stock market as a whole. I'll hear people say things like the stock market is not tied in with the economy. The stock market is manipulated or the stock market, this is something that you guys like to say, is forward leaning. Now, when people say the stock market, is the stock market, obviously I know it's a, a group of stocks from companies that have gone public, but the stock market when it comes to it being controlled, is it controlled by a select group of people that get unfiltered data? Also, as far as people saying the market is manipulated, who would be the people that or thing that can manipulate the market? You know, for example, I'll hear someone talk about the QQQ and it'll shoot up and someone will say, there's no volume to this. This is manipulation. Is that a software algorithm uh, that shoots it up based on something that was input by a person? Or is that just something random that happens? I don't know if this question makes sense, but it's just something I always wondered, you know, is a stock market run by people or run by kind of a computer? Well, great question. Long question. And I'll kind of, I'll try to break it up in a, in a few parts. Uh, is the stock market manipulated it more broadly? No. You know, are there, uh, I think the most manipulation within the stock market happens at option X. Uh, I, I compare it to like a bookie in, in Vegas, how lines are made in Vegas is the bookie just wants to have an equal amount on both sides of the bet and whatever, whichever side pays off, you know, they're going to, they're going to get their, their cut, right? They'll lose on one side, make money on the other, but their payout to one, the other side is less than their payout or the, the, what they made on the other side. So they're always trying to move the line to keep that kind of in the middle. And that happens with option X where there are, uh, option positions about to expire and market makers, oftentimes at big banks, they're trying to get that amount or get that price of the stock to expire where there's the most pain. There's actually a website called maxpain.com, I believe it is. And you can see each option X where there's the most amount of notional options outstanding either side of a particular strike price on a stock. And so there can be shorter term manipulation games, especially the week of option X. So there can be weird moves in that time. Now, if the queues go up, and let's, let's pivot over to your question about the queues going up on low volume, that's manipulated. No. In fact, most of the time, stocks go up on low volume. That's, that's what the Santa Claus rally is. 
less people involved, less more people on vacation, worried about the holidays. And a lot of it is flows too. Just money flowing into index funds, 401ks, etc. And so the natural inclination for the market is to kind of float higher. And when there's low volume, it means there's not a lot of sellers out there. That flow into the market tends to push the market higher. So you get a low volume float. Now, could there be a news event that kind of pushes price a little bit more and having the market or having buyers other buyers besides those natural flows into the market be more aggressive? Sure. That can happen. Now, another area I would say there's manipulation, I say I would say, is within the Fed and government. And it's not directly, but it's more indirectly, right? When you influence the cost of capital, for example, the Fed funds rate, that's going to manifest in the rest of the market. And so it's going to manipulate asset prices in that way. So you guess you can call that manipulation, but it's policy, right? That rate is not being set by the market. It's being set by a policymaker, by a bureaucrat. And those moves change behavior by the actors within the market. And so it's kind of manipulated indirectly. For example, QE. If the Fed is going out and buying assets, that means they are taking that asset out of the market and giving them cash, giving them dollars. And guess what? That entity is going to do something with those dollars. And oftentimes, they're going to go invest it. Maybe in corporate bonds, maybe in equities, elsewhere. So it's really just understanding incentives. And that's what moves markets are those incentives. And sometimes those are, I guess you could say manipulated. But more broadly, no, it's not happening directly very often. But I would say, I could say, it may be happening indirectly with an eye towards, you know, economic growth or controlling inflation, for example. So hope that was a long-winded answer, I think, to a long-winded question. All right. Now, the KPP Premium Newsletter was finished today, and it will be distributed to subscribers tomorrow morning. And I have a preview. Now, in the market conditions section, we explain that the treasury market and associated yields have been the primary focus of investors this week. So, too, is debt, with the 10-year yield passing the 5% barrier and equity markets retracing back below their levels from May. The question of how rising costs of capital might influence earnings has now become a key theme. So the question remains, can stubbornly resilient economy keep the U.S. out of recession? Data clearly shows the economy is once again more resilient than almost anyone believed in Q4. 
The U.S. consumer base remained notably active. Surprisingly, the U.S. economy exhibited growth at an annualized rate of 4.9% in third quarter, a rate not witnessed since 2021. Now, with tech continuing to roll over, we have a keen eye on oil and energy stocks with supply dynamics likely to face a crunch in the wake of global underinvestment over the past five years. There was a lot more commentary details in the newsletter. And in the stock ideas section, we highlight a company that stands as the global agribusiness and food conglomerate, boasting a fully integrated supply chain extending from farming to consumer. And the company's financial robustness and liquidity status granted a competitive edge, particularly during challenging market conditions. And despite ongoing global supply chains bottlenecks, the company has capitalized on upswings in crop prices. Additionally, this company offers a current dividend yield of 2.6%. It'll make a strong candidate for your watch list. We also look at a company that operates as a technology platform that simplifies global commerce and facilitates digital payments for both consumer and merchants. Currently, it's trading below all of its moving averages as the stock is down over 80% from its high. But it's a good name to have in your watch list in coming months to see if it can find some stability and an uptrend. And if it can, then that might be a time to jump on. We need names in the newsletter. Now, I've given you a sample teaser of the latest KPP Premium Newsletter. Subscribers, subscribers receive the full edition via email each Saturday. We also have a portfolio management section as well as consumer watch section. And you can learn more and subscribe anytime on investtalk.com. All right, let's touch a bit on the inflation data. Inflation data was a big, big factor in what the Fed is going to do and the Fed expectations. And a lot of people follow CPI, but the Fed's most followed gauge is the PCE price index, personal consumption expenditures. And the Fed's, uh, it rose 0.4% in September, which is the same pace in August. Now, core prices were up 0.3% in September compared to 0.1% rise in August. That's where it was a bit higher, but both were in line with expectations. So the market had kind of priced this in. So in reality, the headlines were not really of any significance. Now, core prices were up at a 2.8% annualized rate in April through September. So that's what's interesting. It's on a six-month basis, we're actually at 2.8%. So yeah, the core might say about three and a half, but we're actually closer to 2.8. Why? Because the prior six months before that, it was at 4.5. So it just shows you, if you look at different timeframes, shorter time timeframes, you will see that inflation is much closer to that 2% Fed target. Now, at the last meeting, Fed officials projected core inflation would fall to 3.7 in the fourth quarter from a year earlier. And based on the last report, it it actually looks like it's below that. So inflation is beating to the downside, not in a giant way, but a little bit, which gives room for the Fed to pause. And I think it's pretty clear now the Fed will pause through year end. There's actually a small chance of a rate cut, but if 5% chance before, before your end. I'm not banking on it, but it just shows you that the market is telling everyone that, hey, yeah, they've ramped rates and they've been hawkish over the past three months about doing it again, but it's clear that the data is not supporting that anymore. And the rhetoric out of the Fed also backs that up. 
In fact, Jerome Powell said, it may just be that rates haven't been high enough for long enough. So basically saying, we're done. We're going to wait and see what type of impact this has over time. Now, the consumer remains strong, right? Spending on recreation, travel, entertainment. And that's pushing services inflation up a little bit. But shelter costs, such as rent, is likely to continue to come down. Shelter inflation in many parts of the country are negative if you look at near-term numbers. Now, the consumer is still spending. And that's obviously kind of the other side of the uh, of the the ledger that says you know the Fed may not cut soon soon, but now we're looking at a decent chance of a Fed rate cut by the second quarter. And you obviously get more hurdles as we go into next year with the Ukraine war, and now we have this war in the Middle East that's looks like it's breaking out. And we saw with the metadata that maybe that is giving companies and consumers pause. And we also have the partial government shutdown potentially next month. Now we have a speaker, thank God. So that'll help avoid that, but it's still a risk that's out there. All right, now this is Invest Talk, now with more than 56.4 million downloads since it all began. Now, on Fridays, I generally make make time to fit a quick rundown of some key benchmarks. The two-year Treasury yield, 5.01%. Last week, it was 5.086. It shows you down nearly seven, over seven basis points. That's a big move in the two-year in one week. So it shows you that you're starting to get the market pricing in a, uh, a rate cut. It's where you really start to see it in the two-year. Because once the Fed starts on a rate-cutting cycle, they're probably not going to stop for a little while. Now, I will say they're probably not going to go back to zero based on the inflation backdrop. But clearly, the market's starting to price that in. Now, the 10-year, 4.84 is closed today. Last week, it was at 4.93%. So also down nearly nine basis points but still up from two weeks ago at 4.63. So the trend is still up, but you're starting to see that momentum really wane. Now the big mover, gold. Now over 2,000 an ounce, 2,005. Up $24 from last week. And so... You're starting to get that breakout in gold because and what's interesting is you're not even getting a big breakdown in yields. Yields are pulling back a little bit, but it's not a breakdown. And the dollar is staying relatively strong as well. It's been kind of a flat over the past month or so. Yet gold is breaking out. And I think it's twofold, geopolitical, but it's also looking at What is likely ahead? I think it's sniffing out this Fed rate-cutting cycle. Remember, the market front runs it. And that's what you're seeing in this breakout in gold. 
Silver today was at $23.04. It's up from a couple weeks ago when we were at $22.75. Oil selling at $84.93 per barrel. That was down about five bucks from last week, so that was interesting. But still up from $80.26 just about two months ago. The average gasoline, gallon of gasoline, $3.51, down four cents from a week ago, and down pretty big from five weeks ago from when it was at $3.85. Here in California, we're paying a whopping $5.32 per gallon. I pay closer to seven. And remember, a lot of that in California, taxes. People don't realize that. The throughout the years, the powers in Sacramento have continued to raise the gasoline tax incrementally, regularly. And so I might say 532, guarantee you're not paying that because you're paying taxes on top of that as well. But it's still down from five weeks ago. We were at five dollars and seventy-eight cents per gallon. So that was a rundown. Interesting trends within the markets, both bond, equities, commodity markets as well. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we have one goal each and every weekday, and that's to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And guess what? We are heading into our final break. That means if you're going to call, you will have to do that right now. So get your questions in at 888 chart Invest Talk is always made better when our listeners contribute their questions. So tell your friends and family members they can interact in real time with Steve Peasley and Justin Klein during the Invest Talk live stream program between 4 and 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Or they can leave their questions anytime 24 7 in the Invest Talk voice bank. 888 99 Chart. Talk to Bill in Northern California. He wants to look at Philip Morris and Altria. Do you own them or looking to buy them? Uh, I own uh, some, but I was I was curious to add to them. They're really low right now. Hey, before mm-hmm. you go into that, can I ask you real quick? Because I met you the other day. Um, how's Steve doing? I haven't heard from him in a couple of weeks. Is he going to be back on? Soon yeah, the, uh, he's actually actually left uh, yesterday, day before, uh, to Europe with his family. Uh, he'll be back on air a week after next. Oh, okay, that's great. Yeah. To it. I was hoping that he was okay and everything because I didn't yeah. hear anything about it. Yeah, we're good. Um, well, anyway, um, yeah, I just how, how, can you give me like a synopsis of both compared to each other from an investment point of view, uh, dividend stability, and then, you know, the relative value according to their current prices, because they're both really down with the market now. Yeah, I mean, uh, both would be considered bond proxies. Uh, I, I would say Altria is in a much more difficult position, you know, mainly because of its debt load, uh, but also because, remember, Altria is the domestic market for cigarettes. The split a long time ago. And Philip Morris PM is the international business. So you're getting more more currency risk when you're buying Philip Morris. And with Altria you're getting a business that I think is is dying. And 
it has a m- lot higher debt to its, you know, its uh, its revenue and its cash flows. So I rather own, and we actually own Philip Morris, you know, for our income investors. Uh, you know, Phil uh, Altria, I think you're chasing yield, ten percent. I don't think that yield's going to be sustainable. Okay, All right. but Philip Morris. It just had earnings. Revenues were up 14%. Earnings were up 9%. Altria, revenues were down 4%. And it it's, it's a melting ice cube. And okay. Philip Morris has a heated tobacco business that is growing. And so Philip Morris just has a much better business profile than Altria. People overseas, yeah. they still smoke. They're in the U.S., that cohort is frankly dying off. And so if I'm owning one or the other, Phil Morris is, is absolutely head and shoulders above the Altria business. So yeah, I, I would not be buying more Altria. In fact, I would probably be finding a time to sell it. But Philip Morris, I think down here is a good value. Great. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks for calling. All right, let's talk a bit about earnings season. We are in the midst of earnings season. And stocks in the S&P 500, whose earnings per share fell short of analyst projections, dropped by an average of 5.5% the day following the results. The five-year average, only 2.3%. So if you're missing earnings, you are getting hit much harder. And that's happening all around the world, not just here in the U.S., Now, overall, the earnings picture is neutral to positive. But there's a big difference between the winners and the losers. Just look at Amazon today versus a Meta or a Google. They're having big moves both ways. So large companies are not being spared from the sell-off. Now, you had big sell-offs in companies like TransUnion. That was down big today. And that was uh, a harbinger of what's happening with the consumer, right? Lending shows that borrowers are not there. And obviously, companies with a lot of debt are being hit the most. They're the ones that are feeling the pinch of higher interest rates, and that's now flowing down to the bottom line. So that's playing into these companies that are missing and the reason they're missing, and that's why the market is punishing them more than usual. All right. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve and I thank you for listening, and we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. 
Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.